This reading is from Deuteronomy 30, verses 19 and 20. This day, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Fiona, thank you so much and welcome to you all. It's so lovely to see you. Uh, I do hope you are well and um, if you are new here, a particular welcome uh, to each one of you. Now, um. Whoever you are, I hope you've had a good week uh, so far. Uh, It was my birthday on Friday, um, so it's been a good week for me, thank you. Uh, We had our boat party, so I've never had a birthday party with 300 people before, but it was great to have that. Um, But um, I'm 47 now, and I've got to say, um, I'm feeling quite old, all the more so, because most of the birthday cards that I received this year were, you know, the joke ones about your age. So, for example, uh, one of my children uh, gave me this one, uh, which said, uh, for the old man, uh, getting older can be a bit depressing, so I thought you could do with a bit of a lift, and then you open it up, and it's a picture of a stair lift inside. Uh, Thank you so much. That's lovely. Um, Now... um, in fact, a couple of weeks ago, I, um, I had to go to the opticians to check out my eyesight because it was feeling a bit dodgy. Uh, I've been short-sighted for about 15, 20 years, um, and they told me I was long-sighted as well. I've never quite worked out how you can do sort of be not able to see in the distance or close. I mean, I can't see at all, basically. Um, so as a result, um, they said I needed to get some new glasses and to get some very focals, which uh, made me feel very old indeed. Here are my very focals. So I've had my very focals for about a week, uh, and I cannot get used to them. When I put them on, my vision is just basically completely blurry anywhere. So I sort of find myself sitting at my desk, and if I move my head from side to side like that, it feels like my desk is sort of on giant sort of wave on the sea or something like that. It feels like I've popped some psychedelic pill or something like that. Um, uh, obviously, I wouldn't know what that was like, popping a psychedelic pill, but, um, but um, it feels like that. But my, my vision with these on, it, it is all blurry. And really today, uh, and over these next four weeks, um, what, what I guess I'm, I, I'm hoping and praying and trying to do is to help each one of us uh, to have sort of a, a clearer, uh, more accurate, non-blurry vision of the thing that is most important uh, for all of us, and that is our life. Uh, because, you know, even if you are here and your physical vision is totally perfect, if you've got 20-20 vision yourself, actually every single one of us, we're going to find that our vision for life is not totally clear. Because for all of us, as we think about our lives, there are going to be some things we're not quite clear about. There are things that we're going to feel a bit blurry. You know, as we look into the future, whether it's just a decision to be made this week or as we look ahead to the next year or decade or whatever it might be, there are going to be different things for different ones of us. And we go, actually, as I think about my vision for life there, I don't really know. I'm not quite sure how to approach this, how to do this, uh, how to achieve this, uh, what I should be thinking about this or whatever it might be. Our vision in all sorts of different ways in life will be blurry. And in essence, what I want us to think about uh, over the next four weeks, if you like, is four decisions. Uh, Four decisions that we all have to make. Four key decisions as to how you or I should approach our lives. 
I think of an old friend of mine who I happened to meet up with just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we met up for lunch. Uh, we went for lunch just then. Megan's down there in the old town. And, and as we were having lunch, we were reminiscing. And we were at school together. And we were reminiscing about a lunch that we had age 13. And we are in the school canteen. And uh, the, there was a bit of paper that was getting passed round um, in the school canteen. And basically, it was very simply uh, to choose what sport you were going to play in the summer term that year. And the only two choices, you had to take cricket uh, or rowing, okay? You had to choose one of those two things. Now, my friend, he, he was pretty good at cricket, um, so he ticked uh, the cricket box. And, uh, and then the thing was passed on. And as we continued just chatting over that lunch, actually, we got chatting, and he sort of began to think. He said, well, you know, I've done cricket before. He's quite a big guy. And he thought, well, actually, I quite fancy, uh, you know, trying out rowing. So towards the end of the meal, he, he crossed out cricket, and he ticked rowing instead. Now, it turned out he was quite good at rowing. Uh, when we got to sixth form, uh, for the last two years of sixth form, he was in the, the, the school's rowing first eight. Uh, when he went to university, he rowed for the British University's rowing team. Uh, he, he ended up rowing for Great Britain uh, in the World Championships. And that all stemmed. It all came about. So much of his life since has been influenced by, if you like, his decision. His, his choice over what sport to tick, age 13, over lunch in a school canteen. And the four decisions that I'm going to encourage us to think about over these next uh, four weeks, they come from that uh, short little Bible reading that Fiona read for us. And uh, it comes from the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. And the book of Deuteronomy, if you don't know much about it, that is totally fine. It's in the Old Testament, and it's basically a collection of three sermons given uh, by Moses, who was the sort of famous leader uh, of the people of Israel way back then, uh, around 3,500 years ago. And, and basically, the book of Deuteronomy uh, is these three sermons by Moses. And what we had read for us were his very last words in the last of those three sermons. So if you like, it is Moses' rousing conclusion. He's giving these sermons right towards the end of his life. He is wrapping things up, if you like, before he dies in his old age. He's even older than me. And Moses is looking back at his life. And he is, if you like, giving us, giving the people he's speaking to, giving them a vision for life. And this is what he says. Let me just read the beginning bit of what Fiona read for us again. Verse 19. Moses says, This day, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now, says Moses, choose life. And really today's decision is the most important decision of all, that decision to choose life. And by life, Moses is obviously meaning more than just sort of physically being alive. You know, all this talk about blessings and curses there, it may sound very intriguing, but he's simply meaning what is the blessing of life that is connected to the God who made you? And if you like, the next sentence that he goes on, it sort of unpacks a little bit more about what this life looks like. So just look at how it continues. It's about loving the Lord your God. It's about listening to his voice. It's about holding fast to him. For, says Moses, the Lord, he is your life. You see, at its simplest, Moses is encouraging us to choose life. Choose a life that is connected to our creator rather than disconnected from him. And really today, whoever you are, really what I want to do is just make three simple points about this decision 
to choose life. And the first point is this, and this is before I say the first point. Let me just say, the first point that I'm about to tell you is the least positive of my three points, okay? So I don't want you thinking, as you hear the first point, you know, he really has got a bit depressing as he's got older, okay? Because the points two and three will be a bit more encouraging, okay? But the first point is the least positive, and it's this. We all fail to choose life. Okay, all of us, you, me, the Pope, uh, whoever it might be, we naturally fail to choose this life connected to the God who created us. Uh, on our um, summer holiday just last month in Cornwall, um, uh, there was one day where I decided to go and play a round of golf with our youngest child, Theo. He's seven. And uh, it was the first time that Theo had ever played a round of golf. And we hired these sort of dinky little clubs uh, for him. Uh, and... Uh, um, as you can see, there's a video going to come up. He is a left-hander uh, playing golf. Now, Theo is really confusing, actually. He writes with his right hand. Uh, he kicks a football with his left foot. Uh, when he plays cricket, he bats left-handed, but he bowls right-handed. When he's playing tennis, he doesn't know which hand to use. Um, but golf, we decided, golf is about being a left-hander. And as you can see, um, it was actually a surprisingly good shot. His first few shots, he, he, I don't know if it's just a complete fluke or whatever, he connected well with the golf ball, and the ball went in the right direction, which is far more than I could do. And um, uh, from that moment, on. He just took the first two or three shots. He, he was like, well, this is easy. I can do golf. Uh, and from that moment on, he refused uh, to hear anything from me at all. Theo thought he knew there was everything that he knew that it needed to be known about golf. He knew it. So, you know, from, from then on, I wanted to try and tell him, this is how you should hold the club, or, you know, this is where your feet should be, or this is how far your backswing should be, or whatever it was. He would hear nothing. Dad, stop telling me what to do. Dad, I don't need your help. Uh, Dad, I can do it fine without you. And then, soon enough, his shots got worse and worse, and there were plenty of air shots, and I won't show you those videos because they're less edifying, okay? Um, but um, the truth is, we all say the same things to God. God, stop telling me what to do. God, I don't need your help. God, I can do life fine without you. And sure enough, soon enough, it begins to go wrong. You know, it was exactly the same with the people that Moses was talking to all those years ago. Moses, in this book of Deuteronomy, we heard from chapter 30, but uh, as you go through the book of Deuteronomy, uh, he says the sort of big blessing, the big blessing for the people back then is things will go well for them when they enter into the promised land. They're just about to be on the point of going into this land that God has for them. And God's saying, if, if, you, if you choose life, if you choose to be connected to me, things will go well for you in this land. That's the big blessing. And then, God, and then Moses says the big curse is you'll be exiled, you'll be dispersed, you'll be thrown out of this promised land. And as he starts to wrap up his final sermon in chapter 30, just look at what he says. Look across to verse 1, the first verse of the chapter. This is what Moses says. He says, when all these blessings and curses I've set before you come on you, and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations. So do you see what Moses is saying there? Moses is saying to them all, he says, I know that you're going to be dispersed. I know you're going to be exiled. I know you're going to be chucked out of the land. I know this is going to happen because I know you are not going to choose a life connected to your creator. I just know you won't do it. And they don't. And we, all of us, don't. God, stop telling me what to do. God, I can do life fine without you. That's what we say. Now, maybe... 
you're sitting here this evening, and maybe some of you are saying, well, Jago, actually, I'm not even sure that God exists. You know, why should I look to connect to God? Why should I look to try and sort of follow God's vision for life if I'm not sure that he even exists? And that is a fair thing to be thinking. And just for a moment, what I'd love you to do is I'd just love you to try a little sort of thought experiment with me, okay? Just suppose that all your life, um, you had a little recorder. This is not a recorder, this is a, a head torch. But just imagine, this was a sort of recorder, and you had this recorder, as it were, it'd be invisible, but I'm just doing it here so you can see it, okay? Um, you had this recorder around your head all through your life. That di it didn't record everything. It just recorded the times when you said to someone else, something like this, when you said to somebody else, uh, well, you ought to do this. Or, or, or you ought to live like this. Or, or you ought to think this about this particular thing. You ought to do this. So forget about God's vision for life. Forget that for the moment. This is about your vision for life. This is recording what you think people ought to do. You ought to do this. Now, if we took this recorder off your head at the end of your life, or indeed, maybe just at the end of this year, if we took it off your head, and said, okay, fair enough, you weren't sure about God's vision for life. But how do you measure up to your own vision for life? How do you measure up to this? How do you measure up to what you think people ought to do? How do you measure up? Certainly for me, I know that I would not measure up to that at all. I regularly find myself not living up to my own standards, let alone God's standards. In fact, I would say there is not a person on the planet that would actually pass this test. None of us would. And Moses, actually, way back 3,500 years ago, he describes it so well. In the book of Deuteronomy, he talks a lot about our hearts. And Moses sees the heart as, um, as, if you like, the very control center of our lives. So the heart isn't just our emotions. The heart is, it is our emotions. It's what we feel, but it's also what we think, what we do, what we say. It all comes from our heart. Our heart is the, the control center of our lives. And Moses has this little phrase uh, about the heart in verse 17 of chapter 30. He says this, if your heart turns away, if your heart turns away, and you know, that is what happens to every single one of us. Our hearts turn away. Uh, they, they turn away. Our hearts turn away from God. Uh, our hearts turn away from God's vision for life. Our hearts turn away even from our own vision for life. And I guess really all I'm, in, I'm wanting to encourage each one of us to do today so far, I'm wanting to encourage you to admit that. To admit that. To say, yeah, my heart my heart naturally, it turns away. I admit that. It, my heart naturally turns away and I can't fix my heart problem myself. So that, if you like, is the first point. We, we all fail to choose life. Second point, second thing's this. Jesus, Jesus chose death so that you and I, we can be offered life. You see, the Christian claim is that there is just one person who has walked this planet Earth whose heart has not turned away. That there's one person who has lived up to their own standards, indeed lived up to God's standards, and the Christian claim is that that one person is Jesus and Jesus is God. Now, I am aware that is a big claim. 
It is a huge claim. It's the kind of thing, if you're wanting to think about more, we would love you to come on Alpha to think about that kind of claim. Who is Jesus? Was Jesus indeed really who he claimed to be? Was he God? But here I think is the perhaps most striking thing of all about Jesus Christ. The one, Jesus, the one who perfectly lived out God's vision for life, that one, he chose to go to his death on the cross. The one, the only one who does deserve to experience all the blessings, he faced the ultimate curse of death on the cross. Uh, there's, there's a bit, when you get to the New Testament in the Bible, there's a bit where um, the Apostle Paul is writing about this, and he, he quotes twice from the book of Deuteronomy. It's in Galatians chapter 3, and Paul uses this fascinating phrase. You'll see it there up on the screen. He says this. He says, Jesus became a curse for us. Just take that in. He says, Jesus became a curse for us. For us, for us, in our place, so that, he goes on, we, you and I, might experience blessing. It's like a sort of divine swap. I think of, you may have seen it in the, in the media a few weeks ago, but in August, uh, there was that policeman who, who tragically, tragically died after heroically rescuing someone who was stuck on a railway line. The, the policeman, he, he got them off the train track. They were brought to the blessing of safety, but the policeman was tragically hit by the train and died. And that is just a, a sort of tiny, inadequate picture of what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me at the cross. Because at the cross, Jesus was hit by the curse of death so that you and I can be offered the safety of all the blessing of life. And you know that act, Jesus Christ dying on the cross, that act, it is the greatest demonstration of love that you or I will ever experience or ever know about in the entirety of our lives. Jesus Christ taking the curse so that you and I can get the blessing. And, and you know, for the people of Israel, for the people of Israel in Moses' time, as for, for Jewish people today, uh, circumcision externally, if you like, was the mark of being connected to God. For, for all baby boys, uh, you know, a layer of skin cut off. But here in Deuteronomy 30, what we read, Moses is saying, for, what is needed far more is not at some sort of external circumcision, but he says an internal circumcision is needed. He says that for every single one of us, all women, all men, everyone, our hearts internally, our hearts that turn away, he says our hearts need to be circumcised, need to have a layer, if you like, cut off. Just look at this. It's in verse 6 of chapter 30, and this is what he says. He says, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants. In modern language, we might say we need to be cut to the heart. We might say that our hard hearts need to be softened by the wonder of God's love for us. And really the question for each one of us here is this. Will you and I allow that to happen? Will we allow our hearts to be circumcised? 
Will we allow our hearts, as it were, to be melted by the wonder of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for each one of us in love for you and for me? Will we allow our hearts to be melted and changed by that? And then thirdly and finally, life. Life connected to our creator. Life is available simply through belief in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but I would say the sort of the highlight of our UK soggy summer this year uh, was uh, the release of the Barbie movie. I thought the Barbie movie was fantastic. I don't know about you, uh, but I I loved it. And one of the sort of most intriguing ideas of the Barbie film was that Ruth Handler, uh, the person who actually created the original Barbie doll in 1959, Ruth Handler herself, the creator of the Barbie doll, was a part of the story of the film. You'll know if you've seen it. So what happens is in the middle of the film, uh, you've got Barbie and she's come to a point where she's, where she's a bit uh, unsure about a decision to make. She's got a decision in her life. If you like, her vision is blurry about her life at that point. And suddenly what happens in the film is that Ruth Handler appears on screen. And Ruth Handler, the creator, talks to Barbie and says to Barbie, Barbie, come walk with me. Barbie, come walk with me. The creator wanting to have a relationship with the created. Then you get right to the end of the film and in homage to Michelangelo's picture in the Sistine Chapel, again we have creator and created, Ruth Handler and Barbie, like God and humanity and they are connecting, they are holding hands and in that moment at the end of the film, Barbie asks her maker and she says to Ruth Handler, she says, what must I do? to be allowed into the real world. She says, what must I do to experience life? And Ruth Handler says to Barbie, all you need to do is say yes. All you need to do is say yes. Nothing complex. It's a very simple decision to just say yes to life, real life. And you know, it is, it is much the same for us with God spiritually. That there's nothing complex. It is very simple. God, our creator, says to you and me, the created, he says to each one of us, he says, come walk with me. God says to us, come walk with me And all we need to do is say yes. So simple. Just have a look at this idea. In verse 11 in Deuteronomy 30, look at what Moses says. He says, now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you. It's not beyond your reach. It's very simple, he's saying. It's not up in heaven that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey. No, he says, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. That's Moses 3,500 years ago. But look at how on the same slide it's gonna come, how in light of Jesus... In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul picks up and quotes these exact same verses as he writes to the, to the, the, his letter to the Romans. Chapter 10 of verse 6 of Romans this is what Paul writes. He says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. 
But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See what Paul's saying there? He's saying it's so simple. He's saying it's not complex. He's saying we don't have to sort of go and chase after Jesus. We're not quite sure where Jesus is. We don't have to do that. He's saying we don't have to sort of try and pass some impossible moral standard to be connected to God. No, he says it's very, very simple. We simply need to say yes. We need to accept Jesus. My heart believes uh, Romans 10 verse 9, that last verse I just read, I'm just going to come up on the screen again. It is perhaps the shortest and simplest description in the entire Bible of what it is to choose life. And just look at it. Paul writes, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For me, if I'm speaking personally for a moment, for me, that moment of decision, that accepting Jesus, my, my heart believing in him, my mouth speaking of him, that for me was when I was age 17. In my last year at school, that's when I said yes to my creator. That is when I chose life. Or think of my friend that I mentioned earlier who uh, chose rowing rather than cricket and became a very good rower. He was an amazing brain as well. He got the top first in maths at Oxford as well. For him, it was age 25, a couple of years after leaving uni. That is when he chose life with Jesus. Uh, for Ben, who Zim interviewed, it was coming on Alpha. And, and what happened in the, that year afterwards that is for Ben, what it is meant for him when he has chosen life. And it could be that even today, even today for some people here, as you hear God saying these words through Moses, I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. It could even be today that you choose life that you choose life, that you admit, that you admit that your heart does turn away, that you allow, that you allow your heart to be circumcised, melted by the love of Jesus, in Jesus taking the curse of the cross so that you can know the blessing of eternal life. And today, the day that you accept, that you believe in your heart in Jesus. Maybe today, as you admit, allow, and accept, maybe today is the day for you to choose life. Let's pray, shall we? As we sit, let's pray. I'm just going to pray a, a prayer now. Um, that you might want to echo in your heart if you're wanting to say yes to your creator. If you're wanting to have that life connected to Jesus. And I'll simply say a prayer that's sort of using the structure of those three A's. And if it's a prayer you want to pray, do just echo this prayer in your heart as I lead us. So let's pray. 
Lord God, I thank you that you love me. But I admit that so often my heart turns away from you. And Lord, today I thank you for the fact that you, Jesus, faced the curse of death on the cross in my place so that I can know the blessing of a life with you. And today I allow you to work in me by your spirit as you soften my heart to the wonder of your love for me. And so today, I accept you, Lord Jesus. I believe in my heart that you are risen and alive. And I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. Today, Jesus, I want to choose life with you. Amen.